Good morning, Boker Tov to all, on this glorious Tuesday morning. It's a beautiful day, it's beautiful to be alive, it's beautiful to study the Parsha. Parsha's Kisavo, whose theme and essence are all about gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, which we'll get to more in a moment. You all requested the microphone last week, so your request is my demand. And uh, here it is, I hope you can hear clearly. The Parsha class this morning, the entire Parsha series for the year is sponsored by dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, of Becky's father, David Menachem Manash, whose neshama should continue to have an aliyah. Parshas Kisavo, Sefer Dvarim is fantastic. We introduced all of Sefer Dvarim by talking about the Musar Sefer that it is, and indeed it is just that. It is a great, great Musar Sefer. And uh, in it there are so many messages which are so relevant and contemporary that continue to inspire and drive us each and every day, and they always seem perfect for the Parsha. They always seem exactly so relevant for the Parsha. So Parsha's Kisava can be found in the Arts Scrolls from page 1068. And the Parsha begins, When you enter the land that Hashem will give you, it is a Nachala, it is your inheritance, it is your portion, you possess it and you dwell in it. And then the Torah goes on to give us the first mitzvah, which is the mitzvah of Bikurim, the first fruit that are brought to the Beis Amikdash. They're given to the Kohen, and there is a ceremony with pomp and circumstance to celebrate their arrival. The Imre Chaim, we're going to start out with the Vishnitzer. The Heilige Imre Chaim, the great Vishnitzer, says, Why is it, why is it, Vehaya, Vehaya Kisava, what do we know about the Medrash of Chazal? Tell us about the word Vehaya. The word vehaya always connotates, always denotes simcha, happiness. Vehaya kisavo. So where is the happiness? Where is the joy? Vehaya kisavo. And listen to the Imre Chaim. Vehaya osios havaya vein vehaya ela simcha. Aide simcha yecholom lahachnes shamisbarach gamah laartsios. Kisavo el haaretz. When you come to the land, to the mundane, to the physical. And vehaya, what's the greatest simcha? When you transform the physical to spiritual, when you engage the material and you elevate it and you transform it. Food is not food, it's fuel to do good things. And sleep is not laziness, it's rest to be rejuvenated, to change the world. And every material object or possession that we encounter and that we engage, we transform. Kisavo el haaretz. Artius, when you get to the earthly, when you get to the material, the physical things, and we transform them, vehaya, then, says the Imrechaim, there's no greater simcha. Nourishing the soul is delicious. And nourishing the body is delicious. But when you transform the experience of nourishing the body into one of nourishing the soul, that's vehaya, that is the most delicious that there is. And he continues, vehaya of all arts, vehaya he simcha. Eretz Romez la'anava, v'haya masa yechol yos besimcha, ki savo el ha'aretz, im ba'im lebechinas anava. The second thing he says, his second suggestion, the Vishnitzer, is why is v'haya lashan simcha, ki savo el ha'aretz, when you come to the aretz, the earthly, lowly ground, a place of humility. See, an arrogant person can't find happiness. Because why isn't the world showing me the honor, the respect? Why isn't the world falling hook, line, and sinker into the way I want? Why don't my pulling the strings and the threats that I make to others, making them be act and behave the way I want? The arrogant person can never find contentment or serenity or peace 
because they think they control the universe, but the universe doesn't agree. But a humble person, if we can bring ourselves to a place of aretz, if we bring ourselves to a place of, of humility, the recognition we don't control the world, there are other people and other ideas, we make room for others, we make room for Hashem, then then we have a tremendous sense of simcha. It's a beautiful insight, I think by the Ben Yehoyada. I included it in my introduction to one of the volumes of Yadrim that says, mitachas. A pasuk that we say every day in. Anyone here say it every day? In Aleinu. mitachas. So what does it mean? The shemaimimal, the heaven above, the haaretz, and the earth below. So I think it's the Ben Yehoyada who says, if we have an attitude to hashemayim mimaal. When it comes to Shamayim, Dika Inyanim, when it comes to heavenly spiritual aspiration, Mima'al, I look at those above me and I say, I wish I could be like them. I yearn and I long to daven like them, to live with that amuna, with that faith. I want to know, I just went to an extraordinary member of our community made a siyam ashas the other night, a young man. It was a moving, moving event. He was brought to tears by listing the names of the Masechtas, the romantic relationship he had with each Masechta he completed of Shas. It was extraordinary. And I sat there, also moved to tears, thinking, Shamayim Ma'al, wow, I want to be like that. I want to reach for that. That's above me, but I could yearn, I could stretch. Maybe, maybe I could achieve that. V'ha'aretz, mitachas. But when it comes to the material, physical things, then mitachas, I look at those beneath me and I say, no matter how little I have, I have more than someone else. There's someone always who has a little less. I don't know what the person who has the least does, but hopefully that's none of us. But no matter how little someone has and how much they want, there's always someone who has less. So if you want the formula, the prescription for happiness in life, it's to live with the humility. Shemayim ima'al. When it comes to spiritual aspiration and endeavors, I strive, I stretch for more. But ha'aretz, when it comes to the physical mitachas, then I feel that I always have what I need. And this is how the Ben Yehoyad explains the Gemara, through which the Boker Tzom Synagogue, Dr. Yitzchak Belzan Beis Medrash Torah journal called Yadrim is named. The Gemara says, Harotza lahachim yatzpin. I'm sorry, Harotza lahashir yatzpin. A person who wants to become wealthy should face the north. Harotza lahachim yadrim. And a person who wants to become wise should turn towards the south. So Ben Yoyada takes that explanation and applies it here. And he says, what does it mean? If you want to become rich, then you look to the north. What does it mean you look to the north? If you want to become a rich person, then you look to the north means you say, you know, I have what I need. And therefore I'm already rich. If you want to become wise, you look to the south and you realize that you need to aspire for, for more greatness. So that's the Imre Chaim, the vision of says, V'haya, v'haya is simcha. V'haya connotes joy and happiness and contentment. How do you find that? Kisavo el ha'aretz. When you transform the physical mitzvos, Israel is the only place on earth that has mitzvos hatluyos ba'aretz. You don't bring bikurim in Boca. You don't take trumas in maestros in Boca Raton, or even in the five towns, or Tinek, or anywhere else. You don't take mitzvos hatluyos ba'aretz. You only have mitzvahs hatzuliyas baretz. Think about that expression, that very phrase. A mitzvah, a sacred holy act, hatzuliyah, that depends on, that relies on, that is found where? Baaretz, in the earth, in the soil. Transform that which grew in the ground, becomes the vehicle, the instrument for doing a mitzvah, and that's vahaya. That brings simcha. Or the second pshat is the humility of the v'simcha is, the humility is, um, 
El Haaretz means to our place of, of humility. That brings the Simcha. Why does the Pasuk say Kisavo? What should it say? Kisavo is the singular, Lashem Yachem. It should be in the plural. Kisavo'u El Haaretz. When you, the plural Jewish people, two to three million traveling through the desert, Moshe's addressing them right before they're going to cross over into the land. He should say, Kisavo'u, when you, in the plural, enter the land. So I saw in a Hasidic Sefer, it says the following. Kisavo, it should be Lashon Rabbim. Vaya Kisavo, never Belashon Yachev, Velo never Belashon Rabbim. Kedela Lamdenu, Shem Mitzvah, Yishev HaArat Yisrael, Hichova Kedosha, Umutelas, Akol Echad, Veechad Mi Yisrael. Why is it in the singular to tell us kisavo? When you, you think kisavo'u, oh, it's the plural. When the whole Jewish people will move to Israel, when others go to Israel, when that nefesh benefesh flight lands in Israel. So then they'll go, it's important, they should go, somebody should go, yeah, it's important. So the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, the Torah says, no. Vaya kisavo, you in the singular. The obligation, the responsibility to figure out not if, but when we will move to Israel is not on the masses, because if it is, everyone will dismiss it and think it's somebody else's problem. It's on the individual, kisavo. How are you thinking about it? Where is your struggle with it? Today is one of those days that I'm very jealous and that continues to renew that desire to want to move to Israel because, because uh, today's election day, again, in Israel. You know, what's that expression? Vote early and vote often? So they get to, they get to actually fulfill that in, in Eretz Israel. Vote often. Anyway, so um, today's election day in Israel. You may have noticed it because your social media feed is filled up with people putting pictures of them. My siblings put the pictures of them voting on our family WhatsApp group. And I said, it's amazing. The most high-tech country in the world, you're still writing on a piece of paper and putting it in a box with a slot. So my brother wrote back, the Russians can't hack our election system. <laughs> so they probably still can. But anyway... The point is today's election day in Israel, and it's one of those days that we should be jealous. What it means after 2,000 years for Jews to have sovereignty over their own land and to democratically be able to determine their own future. How many of these last 2,000 years did we live in countries where we had no vote, where we had no say, we had no influence, we had no input? And even in this great country in which we do, and it's given us great opportunity and great blessing, but it's still not ours. We are among it, we're part of this country, but it's not the Jewish people, it's not the Jewish state, it's not the Jewish homeland. The fact that a Jew is in a homeland in their Jewish state and has the ability to be the arbiter of their own destiny to vote, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary day and it shouldn't be lost on us. So that's what this Sefer says, Vayaki Savo in the singular, Naki Savo'u, not when you in the plural, ah, Nefesh Benefesh Plains, I watched the video, I cried, it was nice, and then I go back to my palm trees in South Florida. No, Ki Savo in the singular, when are you going? Are you struggling with it? What's your plan? What's your contribution? What's your difference? When will you merit to become a citizen, to be not just a spectator to the Jewish destiny, but to be a player so that you get to enter the vote, you get to be part of an election process as well. Anyway, that is the beginning of the mitzvah, how the mitzvah of Bikurim is introduced to us. Vaya ki savo el ha'aretz. He has the... The, um, the Vishnitzer had a few other pshatim. He has another one, fine, only because you asked. He says, Actually, this is worth repeating because we studied it last week. Do you remember last week we saw the Medrash that talked about the debate? Should man be created? Should man not be created? And there were four opinions, truth and falsehood and chesed. And, do you remember? And God took truth and he threw it to the ground. And we said, we quoted the Katzke Rebbe, 
that any truth which tells you to be divided is not a real truth. So God didn't throw truth to the ground. He threw counterfeit truth to the ground. So based on that Eretz Titzmach, Emes Me Eretz Titzmach, that truth comes from the ground. Vaya, when are you besimcha? Kisavo El HaAretz. If you come to a place of Emes, if you live your life with Emes, with truthfulness, if you are lie and hypocritical or duplicitous and you cut corners and you twist the truth and you exaggerate, you won't find happiness. It's very hard to keep up your lies. You have to remember exactly how you lied. It's exhausting. So it's very hard. You can't find happiness. You want to find happiness? Always stick to the truth. You can't go wrong. So, emes me eretz titzmach vayaki savo el haaretz the vahaya says the imrechayim the joy, the happiness, the vaya comes el haaretz. When you go to the place of emes, when you live in a place of truth. Okay, fine. We'll tell you one more. We could do the whole shir just on the vishnutzer on the opening pasuk. Vayaki savo el haaretz Hashem Hashem lekech anosein. He says he quotes the the uh, sefer Avas Yisrael that haaretz becheshbon tzadi pshuta is gematria shabbos kodesh and v'hay is lashon simcha v'hay kisavo al haaretz kishazoch and lavo al shabbos kodesh tzarech lios besimcha laango bezmira shiros v'tishbachos l'shmo yisparach kisavo al haaretz haaretz is gematria shabbos kodesh so how do you have to come into shabbos with a sense of v'haya you can't come to the shabbos table fadisana negative, nervous, angry, depressed, frustrated, down. You have to enter Shabbos with a sense of simcha, vahaya, kisavo al-aretz. Kisavo, when you come into Shabbos Kodesh, it has to be with an attitude of vahaya, a joy, a simcha, a happiness. Shlach Kodesh, remember we, we studied earlier, says, lo sevaru eish you can't have fire burning in your place, biyom Shabbos. The Shlach Kodesh says, what's lo sevaru eish? What does it mean you can't ignite a fire on Shabbos? You can't get angry. Fire is anger. You can't get, shouldn't be angry the other six days of the week either. But particularly on Shabbos and particularly at candle lighting. Get in the bath. You didn't set the table. I told you to take your book bag and put it away. Why aren't you home yet from running your drasha? All the anger that potentially could come out in other people's homes on Erev Shabbos. We have to go into Shabbos, particularly candle lighting time. When we go El Ha'ar, it's to a place of Simcha, it has to be with an attitude of Vihaya. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there. Though there's a lot more, though there's a lot more Imrechaim, a lot more Vishnatir. Okay, so the Torah tells us we have this mitzvah of Bikurim, the mitzvah of the first fruit, Rashis Kopriha Adama, the first. This is a very sacred mitzvah. Rashi tells us, because the fruit is not the only thing that's called Rashis. Klai Israel, the Jewish people are called Rashis. And the Torah is called Rashis. And when we fulfill this mitzvah, it is of the highest level and the highest order. It is an incredible mitzvah. And when the farmer brings his first fruit, his first fig, we've discussed this at length in the past. You can listen online. We're not going to review everything we've said previously. But the distinction between trumos and maestros, which proportionally, percentage-wise, are a lot more. It takes a lot more generosity and discipline for the farmer to give trumos and maestros than bikurim. Bikurim is just the first. The first little tiny little figula, the first tiny little grape, the first tiny little fruit. It's nothing, it's a garnished. And yet, pomp and circumstance and ceremony and music, and it's unbelievable what goes on when he brings that tiny little nothing. So, we've explained in the past, I heard this from Rabbi J.J. Schachter, the difference is, Truma and Maestro is taken when? At the end of your harvest. So you know what you get to keep. So then, even though you're giving away a lot more, it's less impressive because you know what you have. Bikurim is your first fruit. You don't know if anything else is going to come. 
This could be it. All your hard work, all your backbreaking labor, this could be all that you reap. And yet, you're prepared to give it to Hashem. When you're prepared to give your first to Hashem, when you don't know yet what excuse me, else is to come, that's extraordinary. And that is deserving of pomp and circumstance, of ceremony, and of celebration. So the farmer brings it, gives it to the Kohen, waves it, and has a announcement. The Anisa Amarta, And he pronounces. He answers, Anisa Bakol Rami. He has to say it out loud. And he pronounces, Arami Ovid Avi, Vayered Mitzrayma. You may recognize this section. Where do you see it? When do we say it? Pesach. Now it's Erev Rosh Hashanah. So we're not going to speak about Pesach. But Erev Pesach, we did speak about exactly this. Why are we invoking this at the Seder table? Arami Ovid Avi. Bikesh Lavan. Bikesh. They wanted to lock or sakol. Wanted to uproot everything. And what's the evidence? Arami Ovidavi. Where do we have evidence that Lavan wanted to destroy the Jewish people? We discussed this at length Pesach time. Where, why is this the centerpiece? And it's in the Chazal, we spend the Seder night doing biblical exegesis on this section, dissecting it, analyzing it, understanding it, invoking the rabbinic tradition of it. So we'll leave all that for Pesach. So back to Parshish Kisavo. So the farmer waves it and he says this all in pronouncement, Arami Ovid Avi, Vayered Mitzrayma, and so on and so forth. Why is he saying this here? You're bringing your first fruit to the Kohen in the base of Mitash, you're devoting it and dedicating it to God, and you're saying, here's Jewish history until this point. Why are you saying Jewish history until this point? So Rabbi Salavechik has a fantastic insight. And Rabbi Salavechik says that what you're doing, the reason we're invoking this text specifically and telling the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of the Exodus, when we offer Bikurim and then again on Pesach, the Haggadah and Mikra Bikurim constitute two separate independent mitzvahs. Their common root is to be found in the norms of Akaras Atov, expressing gratitude. The manner in which gratitude is expressed differs. Mikra Bikurim is Shevach, praise. The Haggadah is Shira, song. In Mikra Bikurim, the precept of gratitude is fulfilled indirectly by telling the story. There are no special words of glorification, no explicit words of praise. The narrative description of what happens suffices. All addenda are superfluous. The duty of Akar Satov is discharged by describing the events, similar to the reading of the Megillah on Purim. When explaining why we do not recite the Halal on Purim, Talmud says, Kriyasa Zuhilula. Reading the story of Esther is itself the highest praise. In other words, the thanksgiving is implicit in the narration itself. All one is required to do is tell the truth. Aramid Oviravi is not filled with, with superlatives. It's not filled with praising God, acknowledging God, finding God. It just hears the story. Because when the story is so extraordinary, then the miracle and the gratitude just tell themselves. Too many of us live life on the fast track of going forward. And the past becomes forgotten. And the past becomes neglected. And sometimes we just tell the story of the past. It becomes obvious how much gratitude we have to have for it. This is one of the themes we've seen through Sefer Dvarim. We talked about it a few weeks ago. When Moshe reminds them, Hey, clowns, 40 years you've been going through the desert. Have you noticed that your shoes haven't worn out? Have you noticed your kids are growing bigger and you haven't had to buy them different clothing? It hasn't worn out. Have you noticed any of this? Are you grateful? Do you tell God? Do you express your gratitude to Him? An enormous theme of Sefer Tvarim is gratitude and the direct, not indirect, the direct relationship between gratitude and happiness. Also both expressed very directly in a very focused way here in Parshas Kisavo. Bikurim is all about gratitude. Hashem, thank you for this little fig. So when I say thank you for the little fig, why am I telling the story of Ramid Ovidavi, says the Rav? Because how did I get to this little fig? How did I get to this little fig? Well, I planted a tree. But where did I plant that tree? I planted it here in Israel. How did I get to Israel? 
because I was taken out of Egypt and I survived a 40-year travel in the desert and I merited to come to the land that you promised me. How did I survive Egypt? Well, there was a splitting of a sea and there were 10 plagues and there was, how did I get here? How did I get here? So, you know, there are milestones that we reach and when we reach those milestones, we need to tell the story to our children and grandchildren, not only of the milestone, our 70th birthday, our 80th birthday, our 100th birthday, our 50th anniversary, our retirement party, our whatever it is, our Siam Hashas, we completed learning Shas, and you could be 35 years old and you finish learning Shas. It's not a function of age, but we take those moments to say, not just this moment I'm proud of, but what was everything that had to happen to get me to this moment? Who came before me? What were the sacrifices they made? How did my life fall into order? And just by telling, bless you, that story, sharing that narrative of how I got here. How did I end up here? Who came before me? What sacrifices did they make? What decisions did I make? What decisions were made for me and about me that ended up leading me to here and now? Just by telling that story is the expression of gratitude. It elicits, it invokes that attitude of gratitude. That attitude of gratitude and it tells that story. I've shared on several occasions now because I've been very focused on this and this emphasis of Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky based on these psukim encouraged us to keep a Hashgacha Pratis journal, a gratitude journal every day to try to find Hashem in your day, to see Hashem in that day. You'll excuse me, I'm repeating this. I've said this many times over the last few weeks. I'm too bad. It's worth repeating. So Rav Yaakov and Rav Moshe said, now Rav Yaakov and Rav Moshe were like learning at the highest level paskening at the highest level. They had time for a cute third grade gratitude journal. They were writing Hashkacha Pratis notes about how everything worked out. Turns out I got the parking spot. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov encouraged us to. And Akar Satov and Hashkacha Pratis is not just when things are good, even when they're bad, even when they're bad. So you know what? I was delayed. I couldn't get to the airport. It turns out I missed a flight and I wasn't able to go to the Simcha. And Hashem, that too is your Hashkacha. I don't understand it. And, I, and I, it's painful for me, but I recognize that that too is from you. In that journal go the good and the bad. So we started our family, a WhatsApp group, my immediate nuclear family, a Hashkacha uh, Pratis WhatsApp group for the, every member of the family to be able to, to put in what happened to them that was great. So my six-year-old son the other day recorded a voice memo that he put in our Hashkacha Pratis journal. Why? He got dressed to go to school in the morning, six years old. And then he realized he had to go to the bathroom before he went to school. And he came back and he ran and he told his mother, I, I want to put something in the WhatsApp. What happened? He went to go to the bathroom and he realized he had never closed his zipper when he was getting dressed. So isn't it amazing from Hashem? He didn't have to undo the zipper now to go to the bathroom because he had never closed it. Now, that's a six-year-old Hashkacha Pratis story. What he didn't realize was the Hashkacha Pratis is he had to go to the bathroom so he didn't end up going to school with his fly open. That was the real Hashkacha Pratis. But when you're six, you don't appreciate the real Hashkacha Pratis. You only get it at the lower level. But whatever level, whether you have a six-year-old or a 60-year-old appreciation of Hashem's role in our life, that's exactly what we're meant to do is tell the story. So the farmer, it seems totally bizarre. He's bringing his first fig to Yerushalayim, gives it to the coin, the coin's waving it, and instead of just saying, thanks for the fig, let me go home now, I got a farm to tend to, he says, thanks for the fig, and let me tell a story. I had ancestors, and there was someone who wanted to kill them, and they survived, and then we went down to Mitzrayim, and then, what are you telling this whole story for your little fig? You know, it's like you're at the checkout line in the supermarket, and you're about to pay for your apple, and say, I want to tell you a story. 
my parents were in the Holocaust, they wanted to kill us, and that, and, and that, and that brought me here, so I'd like, here's $1.50 for the apple. Who's interested in your story? Just take the apple and go home, that's a nice story, what are you doing? And the answer is every moment is precious. Every moment of accomplishment, every moment of achievement, every moment which is an answer to our prayers, to have a fig for the farm to produce, is not just gratitude for the moment, it's gratitude for the whole experience. Gratitude for the whole experience. So I say when you make a shahakal over a cup of coffee, you're not just saying, thank you for the cup of coffee. You're saying is, thank you for the fact that Hashem, you invented a coffee bean. Thank you that there's a farmer who planted it in the ground. Thank you there's somebody who broke their back and they harvested it. Thank you there's somebody who ground it into coffee. Thank you there's somebody who packaged it. Thank you for the truck driver who drove it. Thank you to the supermarket that had it on the shelves. Thank you that I had the capacity to buy it. Thank you that I brought it home and I had hot water and I was able to make it. Thank you I'm able to digest. The shahako is not just on the cup of coffee. Thank you, I'll be awake now for the next 20 minutes. It's the thank you on everything that went into getting it ready. And that's all derived here from why we're telling the story of Arame Oved Avi. This rough insight that telling the story is the narrative. It is telling exactly the experience. Okay. What did they want to do? In this context, we're telling the story of what happened, and what did they try to do to us? This is very important. Vayareu osanu hamitzrim. Vayareu osanu hamitzrim. This is some good stuff, so listen up now. Vayareu osanu hamitzrim. What does that mean? Somebody translate for me. Vayareu osanu hamitzrim. Where are we? We're on Pasuk Vav. Perach Vav, Pasuk Vav, page 1068. Vayareu osanu kasha. The Egyptians mistreated us, they afflicted us, and they placed hard work on us. Vayareu osanu hamitrim. Articles translating it as the Egyptians mistreated us. How else might you translate vayareu? Does it mean mistreated? Is that the right form of the verb? So Rabbi Salavechik and Rabbi Salavechik Hamashi points out the phrase is generally translated as the Egyptians did evil to us, the Egyptians mistreated us. But the grammatical form is imperfect. If that were the meaning, the more accurate formulation would have been. Vayarei, I can't read. I forgot my glasses. We have Vayareu, it would have been Vayareu. The verse states that the Egyptians not only committed evil themselves, but rather they made us out to be evil. What does it really translate to? Vayareu Sanu Hamitrim? They demonized us. They accused us Jews of being disloyal fifth columnists, of plotting a rebellion. Paro suspected Jews would rebel and leave the land. So Vayareo Sanu, they mistreated us. And what's the greatest mistreatment of us? Is when they accuse us of having a dual loyalty. When they accuse us and challenge us of having a dual loyalty, when they are suspicious and suspect of us, Vayareu, they made us sound like we're Ra. They portrayed us as corrupt. They portrayed us as disloyal. They portrayed us as having a dual loyalty. Vayareu, they demonized us. That's the greatest anti-Semitic act. So not only did they harm us, did they afflict us, not only were they harmful to us, Vayareu doesn't mean, that's what the Rav is correcting, the mistranslation, Vayareu doesn't mean that they were, they were um, harmed, they mistreated us. Vayareu means they demonized us. They demonized us. Beautiful, powerful insight from Rabbi Soloveitchik. But I saw another insight, also in that same Hasidish, he quotes from Rav Yaakov Yechil of Koznitz who says the word vayareu comes from the word reus, reus. 
the seventh bracha, the Sheva bracha. So we end the seventh bracha. Our hope and our wish for the Chassam Mikala is Ava Va'achva V'Shalom the Reus. What does the word Reus mean? Friendship. A Reya is a friend. A friend, a good friend. A good friend is a Reya. So what do you mean Reus? So this is the other method. The anti-Semites go after us. Either by demonizing us and putting us out, excluding us as the fifth column, or by welcoming us. And then we assimilate and we disappear. Vayareyu Asanu has both connotations. So the Rav's insight, Vayareyu, is they demonized us, and the Kajnitzer's insight is the opposite. Vayareyu means Milashan Reya. They said, come, come to our universities, come to our schools, join our golf clubs, eat at our restaurants, integrate into our society, assimilate into our country, and you will disappear faster than if we try to destroy you. So anti-Semites, not to suggest that everybody who invites us is doing so with such a nefarious anti-Semitic perspective, but the result is the same. That result of the mistreating us and harming us, the result of anti-Semitism, of Vayareu, is true both on the Rav's Vayareu of they demonized us, they accused us of a dual loyalty, and the Kajnitzer's Vayareu of Re'a, they portrayed us as a friend and invited us to assimilate among them. To assimilate among them. Okay, continuing. It says, Vayar Esanyenu. Vayar Esanyenu. What does that mean, Vayar Esanyenu? Hashem, you saw our Anyenu. Pasuk Zion, we cried out to you. We called out to you. And you saw Anyenu v'asamalenu v'aslachatzenu. You heard our voice and you saw our affliction, our travails and our oppression. So the Rav points out there are certain travails and events in a person's life that cause him to scream and cry out to God for relief. And there are other calamities that a person suffers in silence. In the Haggadah, we invoke Vayar es Anyenu, which refers to what? Vayar es Anyenu? Zuprishus. This means that husbands and wives separated during Egyptian servitude. There was no intimacy, emotional, physical. The normal romance, intimacy of marriage was not available. Israel's travails included the most private of domains, yet God, who sees everything, is cognizant of even these afflictions. God hears the cries and suffering contained within a person's heart and provides salvation for all his troubles. Vayaras anyenu means, so vanitzak, we called out. When do you call out? When I'm in a public pain, I call out publicly. Vayaras anyenu means, God, you saw even the private pain. Even the private pain. That's what Chazal were saying. This means the separation of husband and wife, which also was difficult and painful. And yet, it's not a public event, but God, you see even the private pain. And here the Rav explains, and I'm sure we'll repeat it when we get up to Siddur Snippets, Amida in 25 years. So it says, the, when we say in our Amida, Re'eva Anyenu, one of the brachas of Shemona Esrei, thank you, Penny, one of the brachas of Shemona Esrei, Re'eva Anyenu, see our affliction, what are we saying? Are we davening? What are we davening for? I don't want to embarrass anyone. Some of you have been saying Re'eva Anyenu for more than a few years. So what are you thinking about? What do the words mean, Re'eva Anyenu? There's something called Shemona Esrei. We say it three times a day. You know that bracha? We ended Gal Yisrael. Familiar with that one? So, what are you thinking about? Goel Yisrael, you redeem us. What are you thinking about? So, the Rav says if you extrapolate from our parsha, Vayar Esanyenu means the private suffering. Not the things everyone sees and knows about, and we cry out to you publicly, but the private pain that we endure mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. But even you see. God, you see even that. You see even the private things we're going. That's Re'eva Anyenu, when we daven. And said the Rav, it's not, we're not davening in that bracha for 
redemption. How do I know that? We're not dominating to future messianic redemption. How do I know that? That's covered later in Bonei Yerushalayim and Matzmiach Karen Yeshua as son of David. Ah, Re'evanyin, it doesn't mean, God, you see the suffering of the Jewish people and bring us to a point of redemption. And No, 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 that national redemption stuff, that's, that's later. As Tzamach, the Yushalayim, we'll get to that later. Re'evanyin means, hey God, it's me, little old me. You know the stuff I go through that nobody knows? The private pain, the private struggles. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You know. Re'evanyin, you see it. And when it comes to those things, Goel Yisrael. The Yisrael there is not the collective national Jewish people. It's me. I'm your Yisrael. Goel, be my redeemer. Not the messianic redemption. That's later in the Amida. Be my redeemer in the private discomfort, tension, pain, anxiety that I go through. That I go through. So where does that come from that we have this bracha and we insert it here? Vayar es anyenu. From the section of the Arame Oved Avi that we, that we invoke. Okay. Oh, you can fault. We've barely started the parsha, and it's already so late. And there's so much to say. After the Mikra Bikurim comes what we call Chazal. The Mishnah and Sota refers to as Vidui Meiser. The farmer now comes in the base of Mikdash and offers a confession. The most bizarre confession that the Jewish people have. What is that bizarre confession? The most bizarre confession that we have. Let's look at it inside. Page 1070. He gets up and he says, I got rid of everything that I was not supposed to maintain in my home. And I gave out, I distributed the allocations exactly as I was asked. I did everything exactly the way you told me to. I left out nothing. I neglected, I ignored, I forgot nothing. I didn't eat it when I was in Onain. I didn't contaminate it. I listened to you. I did everything the way that you asked. So imagine I come home, Yechavit's in a bad mood, and I say to her, you know, I have a confession to make. I have a confession to make. And she feels, finally, he's going to be honest. He's going to ask for forgiveness. He's going to admit that he's wrong. He haven't heard that in 22 years. Finally, he says he has a confession to make. I say, I have a confession to make. She says, no. I say, my confession is, I'm perfect. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I've done nothing wrong. He asked me to take out the garbage. I took out the garbage. He asked me to do hamukadah. He asked me to study for the test. I studied for the homage test. He asked me to send the kids the email in camp. I said, I, I didn't leave anything out. I did it all. I did it all perfectly. I must confess, I'm perfect. That's exactly what we just read. The Chazal referred to this as vidui meiser, the confession regarding meiser. And yet, what is it that the farmer said? I must confess, I'm perfect. We've spoken about this in the past at length. There are many perspectives on it. We've quoted the uh, perspective of the Sforno, of the Rambam. We learn all about Vidui from here. It's worthwhile going online and listening because this Saturday night we're going to start staying Slichos, which includes, as the central part of it, Vidui, confession. So if we want that confession to be meaningful for the long period of time we're going to say it afterward, not as long as our Sephardi brothers, but the long period of time, I feel guilty using the word long, but in the next room, I think they're still saying Slichos from this morning. So if we want to understand what that Vidui is all about, this is the text. Why is it called Vidoy Meiser? This is the place to look. But I'll just tell you one quick insight of why we call it Vidoy. 
why we call it Vida. And this is also from Vesalavichik. It's fantastic. He says, you know why it's a confession? We're not saying I'm perfect about everything. What is the farmer saying? When it comes to Trumas and Maestros, I've been perfect. I got it all right. I did it to the T exactly the way you asked me. So Vesalavichik says, you know why it's called the confession? Because you are making an admission when you say I did this perfectly. You know what you're admitting? I could do other things better. I can do it all perfectly. I can get it all right. If a child comes home who's struggling in school, and because you took away their technology, you threatened them, you grounded them, they really applied themselves, they studied for a test, they come home and they got a 95. They say, I have a confession to make, I got a 95. And why is that 95 a confession? Because it's a confession, I could get a 95 all the time. So the reason this is called the confession is when we admit we did something right, what we're saying, we're obligating ourselves. And what we're saying is, you know, I could get it right more often. I could get it more right more often. And there's an element of a confession in that. I must confess, I was able to do what you asked. And that reveals about me that I have greater potential. That shows, I must confess, that I am capable of more. That's why it's called a confession. And in that context, once he recites that and says all of this, what comes next? A great song by Cole... So he offers the Vidoy Meiser, and then he says to God, now that I've told you that I got it all right, and I did these mitzvos, once we're here in this conversation, let me ask you, let me offer a tefillah, a prayer. The word hashkifa is the word hashkafa. It's a terrible word, hashkafa. What does hashkafa mean? What's your hashkafa? That's not my hashkafa. I can't set her up with him because they don't have the same hashkafa. That's not the school for me. I can't contribute to your organization because it's not my hashkafa. That word hashkafa has created more division, divisiveness, hatred in the Jewish people. It's destroyed more shiduchim and it's hurt more stuck allocations. That's why I don't like the word hashkafa. I don't think anybody should. We should just have one hashkafa. I love Hashem and I love His children and I love Torah and that's my hashkafa. And there's nuanced differences between, I'm not going to go on this rant right now, though I'm very tempted to. There's nuanced differences and there are important differences between us, but they shouldn't be what defines us in its sum total. We have so much more in common. Look at this Jewish world, assimilated, disappearing, and I say that not with any sense of triumph, but literally tearing my clothing, Kriya. The Jewish world is disappearing, and the rest of the world is only hating us more than they ever did. And we're going to fight because my nuanced hashkafa is different than yours. That's what we're going to fight about. That's what we're not going to support each other's institutions over. That's going to be what breaks up a shidduch opportunity. Our hashkafa is different. You know what? Everyone got rid of their hashkafa and had one hashkafa of loving Hashem, loving His Torah, and loving the Jewish people. And that was the sum total of our hashkafa. And we saw past the differences and we only saw what we have in common with love. We'd be a lot better. Okay, back to our text. Hashkifa. So what does the word hashkafa mean? Sorry. What is the word hashkifa? Hashkifa means to look down. Hashkifa, hashkafa is my outlook. What is my worldview? What is my veltanchang? What is my hashkafa? What is my hashkafa? Hashkifa. So the word hashkafa is not used to divide, it's used to invoke bracha. And we don't, we don't ask each other what hashkafa is. We turn to our God and we say hashkifa. We care about your hashkafa, God. Yours is the only hashkafa that matters. God's hashkafa is the only hashkafa that matters. Hashkifa mimon kachacha, gaze down from your holy place. And give us a big bracha. We need a bracha. Bless our homeland. Let it produce 
Let the fields produce, let it be safe and secure, let the election finally have a conclusion, let people rally with a sense of unity to it. And the question is, why? Why here? Why now? The farmer brought his Bikurim, the farmer has said Vidoy Meiser, and now, all of a sudden, God, while I have you, while I have you, and I just told you how I got the mitzvah right, if you wouldn't mind, then my stocks go up instead of down. I'd really appreciate it. If you don't mind, then everyone's healthy and I can get nachas from my kid and my son can remember to close his zipper in the morning. I'd really appreciate it. Why now? So I mentioned a few shiurim ago, Parshish Ekev. The summer I learned Halakach uh, Vahalibov with my daughter Atara, Rav Avram Shor's beautiful Sefer on Birchas Hamazon. We learned through much of it, and we came across this piece. We were reminding each other yesterday that we learned it earlier this summer, and he asked this question, and he explains a very interesting anomaly with this question. I'm going to ask him that this is the way we do it, Jewish people do it. I'm going to answer that question by first asking another question. And here's that other question. Why did it come up in Parsha Zekev? Because we have the mitzvah of benching Birchas Hamazon. I enjoyed a delicious sandwich. I had some good bread. Hashem, thank you so much. Some bench because they ate bread. And others, like Mr. Sanders, eat bread so that they can bench. Some have a fear of benching, so they do anything they can never to eat bread. And some who have no interest in bread always make sure to eat bread once a day because they can't imagine one day without reciting the benching. It's so beautiful, the benching. What do we have at the end of benching? The formal part of benching is made up of four brachas. And we've talked about who authored each of them and biblical and rabbinic and so on. But four brachas. And after we get to al Yechasreinu, we're done. At the end of al Yechasreinu, the formal central part of benching is complete. It's done. But what do we do afterwards? We start reciting a whole list and litany of harachamans. Some of them we gave tunes to and get us through. Some of them have new things. The new RCA sitter has a harachaman for the Israeli soldiers. It has a harachaman for for the Medina Israel, we've introduced new Arachamans. What are we adding Arachaman? I had to bench, I finished benching, and the Arachamans have nothing to do with benching. Benching is all about thank you Hashem for the land, for the Torah, for my bris, for my people, thank you for the bread. Which by the way also reinforces what we said earlier. I just ate bread and I'm talking about my bris. I'm talking about you gave us the land of Israel, I'm talking about Harsina, you gave us the Torah. What does all that have to do with the bread I'm eating? And the answer is, I'm telling the whole story how I got here. I know I just had a sandwich, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. I'm not just thanking you for the sandwich. I'm going to thank you, let's go to the beginning. And I'm thanking you for everything from the beginning until this sandwich. Until this sandwich. But I'm done. Al I'm done with benching. Harachaman this, harachaman yifarnasenu v'chavod, harachaman yishboraleinu, harachaman with this, harachaman with that. What in the world? What are we tacking it all on here? That's Rav Avmashur's question. Halakach v'alipov. So he says, he invokes the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim asked that question in our parsha. Masha the mispalal hashkifa mimon kachecha ki laachar ki em hamitzvah huzman mesugal lehispalel. The Chavetz Chaim asked that question. The Chavetz Chaim gave an answer, and he said, "You know, the most auspicious, the most opportune, the most welcome time to daven is right after you've done a mitzvah, right after you complete a mitzvah, and your neshama is on fire, and you have." contributed something to your relationship to Hashem, you've shown Him that you're listening and that you care and that you're doing, right then is the moment to ask. When you do a mitzvah, you've created an ace ratzon. You've created an ace ratzon. And because you've created an ace ratzon, you've made it an auspicious moment, take advantage. Boom! Now, ask. And where do we see that? The Chavetz Chaim said, where do we see? So the Chavetz Chaim said, 
וזה מבואר שם חפץ חיים, עניין אמירוס הרחמן אחר קיום מצווה דאורייסא של ברכס המזון. כי על ידי קיום המצווה נעשה איס רצון. When you benched, you fulfilled the biblical mitzvah of saying thank you. You fulfilled the mitzvah of benching, mitzvah d'araisa. So right after you did a mitzvah, you say, ah, oh, now is an auspicious moment. Let me tack on some harachamans. I have things I need, things I want, things I want to uh, acknowledge. Now is the time. V'yichol nevak yesh racham me'is aboriz borach v'yesh lahosiv azeh. And so Rav Avram Shor suggests, based on this Chavetz Chaim, maybe this is the origin of the custom of many women. When they light candles Friday night, what do they do? You make a bracha, you light candles, and all of a sudden you break into my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Can, you start thinking about the people you love. You ask for them. You think, no, what's the matter? What are you doing that now for? Light candles. You've got stuff to do. Why are you offering all that tefillah right when you lit candles? Says Rav Meshur, this is the idea of the Chavetz Chaim. Hashkifa mimon kachicha. I just gave you my trumas and maestros, and I told you I got it right. I take advantage of that Yisratzon, of that auspicious moment to say, Hashem... Give a bracha to us. That's why we say the harachmans at the end of benching. That's why a woman or anyone who lights candles thinks about the people they love. That's why when there's a bris milah, we don't just talk frivolously among ourselves. We offer a special tefillah. The cries of the baby ascend and bring with it our tefillahs. There's a mitzvah happening. It's an ace ratzon. When there's a mitzvah and an ace ratzon, that's when you take advantage of that moment and you ask for a bracha, and that's what the Chavetz Chaim says the farmer's doing here. I offer a confession. I got it all right. I did the Trumas and Maestros. And while I've done the mitzvah, I've created that Eis Ratzon. Since I created the Eis Ratzon, I take advantage, and I ask you for, and I ask you for help. Um, mm. One of the themes, one of the themes, well, I'll end this because i got to get to the airport, but one of the themes... I apologize, we barely got through the Parsha. I'll tell you good news. I have amazing news. Amazing news. We're going to read Kisavo again next year. The hope and the prayer is we'll all be here in good health to learn it together. But if we didn't get through it all, that's the beauty of Parsha. We'll get to read it again next year. So one of the themes I mentioned is gratitude. The Bikurim is gratitude. Telling the story of how we got here is all about gratitude. Gratitude, 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 gratitude. And the other corollary, the other theme that goes with it is... Simcha, joy, is joy. The Pasuk says in this context of Vidoy Meiser, it says with Bikurim, v'samachta b'chol hatov. Be happy with all that you have. V'samachta b'chol hatov. But I saw v'samachta b'chol hatov is not just saying be happy for all the good you have. Look in your life and as miserable as your life is, you'll always find some good. No, that's not what v'samachta b'chol hatov is. V'samachta b'chol hatov means v'samachta, how are you happy? B'chol hatov, when you realize it's really all good. You know, there's an expression, it's all good. How are you doing? It's all good. I know you went through something hard. It's all good. It's all good. I'm all good. It's all good. That's b'chol hatov. Right? So you can say that and not really mean it. We're meant to mean it. V'samachta. How do you find simcha? When you live an attitude in life of b'chol hatov. That everything is tov. That it's all good. There's an amazing story. The Magid had a chassid come to him and say, You know, it says, Keshem shemavachal matov kach mavachal hara. The same way you bless God for the good, you got to realize that everything comes from Hashem, even that which we perceive is painful and it's difficult. So Chassid said, I'm going through so many hard times and hardship, and I'm struggling to be able to connect with Hashem and to feel it's from Him. How can I feel, that everything, that everything that God does is for the good? So the Magad said, go to the next town. The next town is a holy Jew. His name is Rav Zusha, Rav Zusha Anapoli. And I want you to find him. He's had a very tough life. He's experienced loss and hardship and poverty and debt 
and he's had a very tough life. I want you to find him, and from him, he's going to tell you. So the chassid travels, he makes his way to the next town, he finds the Rebbe of Zusha, and he says, are you Rebbe Zusha? He says, yes. He says, I was sent. He says, why were you sent? What's your question? He said, because I'm struggling with how do you say everything from Hashem is good? How do you feel it's all from good? And the Magad said, I should come see you, and you know what Rebbe Zusha said to him? I don't know why he sent you to me. I haven't had one bad day in my life. And the chassid understood. It was Reb Zusha's attitude. Reb Zusha didn't have one good day in his life. He had good days in his life. But he had a lot of tough days. But v'samachta, he woke up every morning with an attitude of gratitude for what he had. And he saw the good. And he believed it would get better. And he had faith it was for a reason. That everything God does is for the good. And v'samachta, how do we achieve v'samachta? When? Bechol hatov. When our attitude is that whatever is happening, as painful as it might be, somehow everything is for the good, then we find the will and the capacity to live an attitude and a life of b'chol atov. So we have a samach b'chol atov on the one hand, and then we have in the tochacha, which we didn't even touch upon, and we had so much to say. The tochacha in our parsha, the harsh rebuke that's offered in our parsha, what are we held accountable? What brings, what, what makes this harsh, graphic, violent punishment come upon us, be visited on us? Hashem says, because I gave you so much good, and you, negative, complaining, low life, all you did is not see the good, you saw the bad. Not what you had, but what was missing. Not what was pleasurable, but what was painful. You lived your life without simcha. You had no simcha, you never smiled, and you were never happy, and you were never grateful. So you know what? I checked out. Where does the tochacha come from? It's not God doing it to us. It's God removing himself from the picture. And when God ex- removes himself from the picture, has to pun him, it's a very ugly picture. We've seen what could happen in this world when evil is allowed to rule and reign. We see what can happen when natural disasters don't make a right turn. We see what can happen. So Hashem says, you don't see me, you have nothing to be happy about, you have no gratitude for me, no problem, I'm out of here. I'll go hang out with somebody else who's grateful, who's happy, who I connect with. And we'll see how good your life is when I disappear. When you don't have my divine providence and my divine protection, what are we left with is the tochacha. So the themes of our parasha are gratitude and simcha. The simcha v'samachta b'chol hatov. How do you achieve simcha? When you say it's all good and you mean it. It's all good and you mean it. And and if you don't say it and you don't mean it and you don't feel it, then you're going to have problems. There was a gazillion more things to say about this. But they'll have to wait for next year. Have a great day.